listening to the Retail Razor Show, where your expert hosts and their guests cut through the clutter in retail and retail tech to shape the future of retail. Hello and welcome to Season 3, Episode 13 of the Retail Razor Show. I'm your host, Ricardo Belmar. And I'm your co-host, Casey Golden. Welcome to Retail's favorite podcast for product junkies, commerce technologists, and everyone else in retail and retail tech alike. This is yet another special edition episode on a topic we have been wanting to talk about in depth for some time now. Somehow we just kept delaying it and, and missing it, but I am so glad we're here now. We're doing what every single brand retailer is doing. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> we have to wait for the season to force it on us. <laughs> so we're here to talk about RFID in retail today and trying to answer the incredibly important question, why haven't more retailers adopted RFID by now? Absolutely. Hey, let's face it, RFID is one of those enabling technologies that just makes it possible for a retailer to do so many things that either can't do at all or can't do well. I mean, let's just start by talking about inventory accuracy. Uh, I know you know some retail examples who, when they take an online order to fulfill from a store, if their inventory count drops below a threshold, and often it's something like three units, right? They just won't fulfill the order because they don't trust their data that says there should be three in the store. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's such an inefficient way to operate. But our guest today is going to share with us that it's only scratching the surface of what RFID can enable a retailer to do. And we hear about why this matters to brands too. Right. And there's even applications deeper into the supply chain for sustainability, authenticity that become so easily enabled with RFID. So it's not sparkly. It's not a glittery, <laughs> glittery topic. But once it's implemented, your life just sparkles. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. As we'll find out today. So today's guest is Jean-Pierre Kamal, or JP, the Managing Director of RFID Sherpas, and as well as, we'll hear shortly, the co-founder and VP of Supply Chain Strategy at Ravel, a new streetwear clothing direct-to-consumer brand JP just co-founded. Yeah, and we'll learn more about that little tidbit in the conversation with JP, but spoiler alert for those watching us on YouTube, we are sporting a couple of those pieces from the Ravel collection of hoodies today. You can That's see we're right. both wearing one right here. <laughs> Ricardo, don't you think we should first take a quick detour down the road to greatness or blade to greatness, mm -hmm. as we like to call it? And now we'll shift gears a bit for one of our newest segments on the show, Blade to Greatness, where we hear from a retail industry leader who shares their insights and wisdom on how to excel in this industry. In this segment, we learn about the essential skills and qualities that every retail executive needs to lead their teams and their business to success. Whether we're talking about corporate office or stores, we'll uncover valuable tips and advice that you can apply to your own retail career. Today, we're speaking with April Sabral, founder of RetailU.ca, an online leadership development portal for field leaders, and the author of two books, Positive Effect and her latest, Incurable Positivity. After three decades running stores for brands like Starbucks, Banana Republic, Apple, Holt Renfrew, and David's Tea, April's transitioned into coaching and training after seeing the impact of leadership firsthand on a retail business. Her current clients include brands such as Jimmy Choo, L'Oreal, Victoria's Secret, David's Bridal, and more. Today, she's here to talk with us about one of the most important skills every retail leader needs, how to cultivate a positive culture throughout your organization. Welcome, April. Hi, good morning. So yeah, today I'm gonna to share a little bit more about that. It's really important. I don't know anybody who says that they wanna show up and work, go into work and just not have a great experience, right? And, and there's a lot of people, unfortunately, that are not having a great experience. I learned a long time ago, I had a boss that when I was a store manager, he was a regional director at Banana. And I said to him, how do I get your job one day? <laughs> like, I literally asked him that. And he said, when people go home at night, they spend a lot of time at the dinner table talking about what they've done all day. And usually they're talking about their work, what they've done, who they've interacted with, and specifically their boss. And so he's like, you have a real impact 
on the way that people go home and talk about you, the company, and those ripples go out to their family. And he said, and I want you to think about that when you leave every day, what would they be saying about you at the dinner table at night? And that really stuck with me because he said they're either, you're, everybody in their family and friends group is either telling them to leave and get another job because it's not worth it, right? Or they're saying, oh, good for you. And like that person's coming to work and like actually putting more effort in the next day because they love what they're doing. So there is proven fact statistically that when you have a positive culture and people feel good coming to work, that you get 10% more intrinsic effort out of them that a pay increase just cannot do, right? And so when somebody's not feeling great, they just check out, call it quiet quitting, whatever you want to call it, but you're just not getting the effort. So positive culture is so important. And if you're not working on culture, you have one, it just might not be the one you want. HR leader told me that a long time ago. And I was like, that's just golden because how many times do we talk about we want to improve culture? I've been at executive tables where we're talking about culture and people, but we don't have a plan in place to actually do anything about it. We're just talking about it. And culture is everybody in the organization, the way you show up every day and how you make other people feel working for you. You ignite positive emotions, neutral or negative every day in the way that you interact, the way that you communicate, where your focus goes. And so, yeah, I'm a big one on like positive culture and what that can do for you and how you do that. And I believe it starts with leadership. It starts with leadership, knowing how to lead, develop and inspire those emotions in people. Yes, it's a conscious decision at the top that you have to plan it. You have to think about it. You have to have a vision for it, how to execute it, scale it. Do you think that more you've seen more companies with a culture that they the culture that they think they have? Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. People think that they have something, but they don't. You just read exit interviews, right? When I was leading stores, I read thousands of exit interviews. And when somebody would resign, their boss would usually call me and say, oh, they left, they got another job, they got an opportunity. If we throw more money at them, I can get them to stay. And I would get on the phone with store managers, district managers at the time, and it was never about the pay. It was always about the person that they worked for. Mm -hmm. The top two reasons why you know, people leave companies, specifically right now retail as well, but I've only ever worked in retail, but it's general. It's Number one, the person they work for. And number two, they're not getting any career development. Those are the top two reasons. Pay is always the third. So, but they're not going to tell you that in an organization because they don't want to have that come back at them, right? So if you do internal mm -hmm. surveys, a lot of times it doesn't show up. If you look at the exit interviews, though, it always shows up. And that requires then you as a leader to actually take that feedback take ownership and responsibility for that and then start doing something about it. People just want to love where they work, who they're working for, and they want to be developed. And development is the number one thing that gets dropped all the time when sales are bad, we don't have time, resources are cut, all that stuff. And that's why I created Retail You that's just so affordable for everybody to jump on because it's literally helping you develop. Is it? Yeah, it is one of those things where we always hear retailers will say we it's the year this year we need to invest in our people, but you're right that you, that's always the first thing that gets cut when there's a need to cut things because it's seen as a cost, not an investment. Yeah. But I mean, I've been working with a lot of brands this year, specifically on positive leadership, right? Mm -hmm. From the positive effect of those books. And it's being so well received, just hearing like shifting the mindset, like having those coaching skills to develop their teams. It's a skill at the end of the day, and we need to provide that. For, for our leaders to be able to create that culture, right? Every day. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. Well, April, thank you so much for sharing these insights. You're so, so right about the need for that positive culture. And I think my big takeaway from that is that even when you aren't trying to build that culture, just the fact that you're not trying is kind of the culture you're setting, right? And it shows and is reflected in all of your teams, whether you realize it or not. So you do have to take control of what you want your culture to be in, in an organization. So thank you so much for sharing those insights with us today. Thank you. I am such a fan of these segments and April does such an amazing job of showing us why creating that culture of positivity is so important in a retail organization. You can just feel the positive energy just coming out of that segment, can't you? C completely. Positivity just breeds more positivity in these environments and retail so often needs more of it. April's oh, point yeah. about going to work 
wanting to have a great experience is something that should be every retail leader's mantra. Yeah, so much incredible insight in what April highlighted. I'm just going to suggest everyone go back and listen to that segment multiple times for inspiration. What better compliment can you give than that? So what do you say we now shift gears back into the exciting world of RFID and jump into our discussion with JP Campbell, Managing Director of RFID Sherpas and co-founder of streetwear brand Ravel. Welcome, JP, to the Retail Razor Show. We've had this discussion in the works now for quite some time, so I'm really glad we're finally diving into the power of RFIDs and enabling technology for just so many different capabilities. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, it's, it's been a long time coming and it should be a fun show. Such an important topic and honestly, one I'm ready to learn more about. Yes, yeah, same here. But first, we've got some equally interesting uh, things to talk about, don't we? For those of you watching this episode on YouTube versus just listening to the podcast, you might be wondering why we're all so well coordinated today and we, we all have that. matching hoodies. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So yeah, thank you so much guys for, for wearing our Rabble hoodies. So, so Rabble is a, a new brand that, that me and my team recently launched. It's an interactive brand, allows people to really customize and change up their look. Whether you want one drawstring or 52 drawstrings in the adult hoodies, you could change it up and, and wear anything you'd like. It's, we've also just launched our children's line yesterday that of course we don't have drawstrings, we have patches to allow kids to really express their own unique character and put whatever patches they want on their clothes. So yeah, it's, it's been a really fun journey going from the consulting side of things to actually being on the sell side of things and actually being a, a brand. It's, it's been a, it's been a fun ride these last few, these last few months. Welcome to the other side of the family. <laughs> <laughs> it is good to be here. <laughs> well, I, I enjoyed it. I am a hoodie girl and this was quite fun. And I'm just really excited to see Rebel grow. So let's jump into our main topic today uh, for the future and the power of RFID. Well, we all hoodie. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> For those in our audience who may not be as familiar, can you provide some concise explanation of RFID technology and its fundamental role in the retail landscape? Absolutely. So at its core, RFID is an enabling technology that helps retailers shore up their inventory on a regular basis. And really what RFID is, is it's a, it's a tool that allows retailers to rapidly count the product in their stores to take the guesswork out of what do I have in my store? It consists of an embedded tag, usually in the price ticket. So it's not something a, a consumer can necessarily see. A handheld reader or a fixed reader or some sort of reader infrastructure in the stores and the ability then to count all the products in your stores, sometimes in real time, if you've got fixed infrastructure using handhelds, you could count at about 30,000 units an hour per person to just capture all that inventory. So. Think about doing a annual count. You get an, an annual snapshot of your inventory. With RFID, most retailers are doing either a weekly or a bi-weekly or even a monthly count of their stores and shoring up their inventory on a regular basis, therefore taking out all that guesswork uh, and really knowing what you have in the store and being able to fulfill on that promise to your customers based on what is actually there. And with RFID, there's a couple other acronyms and technology out there, right? So Absolutely. these are not easy subjects to Google. And often we hear these <laughs> words like NFC and we hear of RFID at work necessarily. Can you give just like a little snapshot of if you need like long distance this or this is better than this or this is on the emerging just to give us like beyond what Google could provide, <laughs> just to give us like our listeners just a little glimpse of here's a little bit of the landscape. This is what we're going to dig into here. It's that, that's great. And actually, you've helped me focus my, my thoughts here because what I just talked about is called EPC RFID or electronic, electronic product code RFID, which is very similar to UPC. So all retailers are very familiar with UPCs. And right. EPCs are really a serialized version of that UPC. Now, RFID is actually a blanket of auto ID technologies, which basically means there's a whole bunch of technologies included within the RFID umbrella. Everything from the sensors you have in your cars when you're using your toll highways to 
to the, the passes that you use to get in and out of your building, to the, the little chips that are on your credit card for you to do tap and go, to NFC that you've got. So NFC stands for near field communications, which is what you see on a lot of advertising. You see that on the ability to, to tap something and click and collect and, and, and be able to pull some marketing information off of a poster. Those types of things are client interactive RFID solutions, which are embedded in, in cell phones. And then we have okay. authentication that I was talking about here today, which are EPC, EPC reads. And EPC reads really are designed to give you really fast reads from a far distance. And the idea behind that is you're able to, in a very low cost way, rapidly count all the inventory that's in front of you. Whereas if you think about NFC or HF, when you think about your credit card, you don't want anyone to be able to read it from five feet away. You know, you really are. Exactly. You're doing, Preferably you can, not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're trying yeah. to read distance to be a couple of inches if you can, mm-hmm. uh, so that it's truly just a tap and go. And so different tech has different functions and they all fall in this RFID bucket. But as far as retail goes in terms of retail supply chain and retail store operations, EPC RFID, uh, which is a standard by GS1, really has emerged as the technology and it's something called a passive RFID solution. So that means that there's no battery in it. It uses the energy of the reader to actually activate itself and send the information back. And that's all in the spirit of providing a low cost, easy to use solution. And that's what EPC is. And so most of the time when we talk about RFID in the retail space, we're either talking about HF for the credit cards for, for payments. We're talking about interactive retail type applications, which are NFC, which are very one-on-one and very, very close read range. So some sub a foot for sure, or these EPC reads, which are what we're talking about from an inventory perspective, which are 15 to 45 feet distance reads, thousands of tags per second, trying to be able to capture lots of data in a very small period of time. Perfect. I think now we can dig a little deeper and we're at least all starting at the same place. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think what's really in- interesting with this as enabling technologies, you know, you, you've just gone through and described almost like a, use cases that can fit end to end. I mean, just entire on the entire retail experience, right? Whether we're talking about operational to the retailer, uh, all the way into the supply chain to brands the retailer may be sourcing from, all the way down to the NFC examples you gain for that near field with the consumer and where the consumer activates with this technology. So it really does have, I mean, it really is something that reaches into every aspect of retail in that sense. Absolutely. And it's right from the factory. So embedding RFID at the factory, but even in in our conversations with our clients, we're talking about how do we leverage serialized tracking all raw materials? Can Mm -hmm. we even go one step further back to understand, can we create that digital passport one from the product from the moment it's born? What about mm-hmm. the raw materials that are coming in? Do we have the av- ability to really understand what's happening at that level? All of the factory into your supply chain, understanding where your product is across the supply chain, all the benefits of, of a, again, of a digital passport, but understanding what your product, where your product is and where, how much of it is at each node into your DCs, into your stores. And then the last piece, which is beyond the store, even on the reverse logistics side, on the reuse side. So from a sustainability perspective, we're bringing product back. As well, anti-fraud, when it's embedded inside of the product, you can actually do things really interesting in a very interesting way. And so mm-hmm. it's truly end-to-end from cradle to grave yeah. and all the way back from, a, from an apparel perspective. And it's all about giving visibility. And I think that's one thing that I know we, we even launched this as an RFID conversation, but at the end of the day, when we talk to our clients about this, this is an inventory visibility and inventory accuracy mm-hmm. and an inventory findability program. Yeah, I think so that's the key, the key piece, exactly. right? These are transformational projects because it affects every area of your business, whether it's planning and allocation, whether it's buying, whether it's store operations, whether it's DCs, whether it's how you manage your finished goods at your factories, mm-hmm. really can impact everything because it's all about transforming the way you look at your product and you see your product. And, um, and I think the a key thing too that you mentioned earlier, you're, you're, one of the main benefits you're gaining here is that near real-time nature. I mean, you're com- in the absence of this, you're, you're operationally looking at having data that's probably best case a few weeks old right. versus something that you know today. And that has an immediate impact in, like you said, right? It's that inventory tracking that trickles into so many different areas, your forecasting, ordering, how you, wh- where do you need to uh, look for promotional discounts because you have excess inventory in one category versus another, all, all these things. Are, are there, I mean, across all so many different use cases and scenarios like this, are, are there any kind of success stories or, or other examples that 
um, you're, you're, you're able to share. Because uh, obviously, we know a lot of folks will consider this pretty competitive information for them, but there's a big advantage in having this. But any kind of success stories you can give or any uh, kind of metrics that maybe have been established around some implementations that you can share? Absolutely. And I think before I jump into some of the results, I'm going to give you some baselines. Hmm. So the average retailer operates at anywhere between 65 and 75% accuracy at the SKU level. Now, that's not, that's not hmm. a loss rate of 35 to 40%. It's actually at the SKU level, what do they actually have in their store? And these are NRF numbers and, and University of mm -hmm. Auburn, the Auburn University numbers that the average is somewhere between 65 and 75%, which means if you think about that from an omni-fulfillment perspective or from an out-of-stock perspective, if you're trying to promise somebody something and you only have 65 to 75% confidence that that item is actually there, then you need to introduce a whole bunch of buffer stock into your product. Mm -hmm. Whether you promise. Sorry, it's not a very good rate of promising. Absolutely yeah. not. And, yeah. and, the only, and the only way to shore up that rate of promise is to either allocate extra products into your store. So you're buying more and you're shipping more into your stores. You are putting buffer stock on your inventory. So it says I've got two available, but I don't make it available unless I have three or four available. Right. Not yeah. only do you see yeah. sell, selling down to the last unit because God forbid that it says I have one and there's nothing there, not only from a from a ship from store perspective, from an op, from a buy online fulfill from store, that that could be a unfulfilled product that hops to multiple stores. That's a lot of labor mm -hmm. that's being used at each one of those hops. If it's a buy online pick up in store, well, now you're making a promise to a customer to go to the store to to pick something up that's actually not there, and then you're disappointing them when they when you can't find it. And so, as a result, there's lots of different things that retailers have put in to take that guesswork out. So. So really what this is doing is it's shining the spotlight on your inventory and saying, what do I truly have? And from on average, we see about a 3% drift in inventory accuracy at the SKU level per month. And so if you can shore up that 3% drift, then you essentially are operating at a near real-time view of what you have in your stores. And so when we talk to a lot of our clients, they believe that after they do their physical counts, they don't think they're actually at hundred percent. There's always human error in a physical count. They're somewhere between 93 and 95, 93 and 96% accurate after a, a physical inventory. With RFID, we find that we can be somewhere in that 95% accurate range on a consistent level. So we're not getting to hundred percent. No one's going to get to hundred percent because there's a whole bunch of reasons why you're never going to get to hundred percent, but consistently taking out 30% of the inaccuracies in your inventory has tremendous value. Mm. And so I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples. I'll give you some very hardcore examples, and then I'll give you some examples that I can't necessarily say who the retailer was, mm -hmm. but we'll talk a little bit about the benefits that they've seen. And I think, I think that will make a lot of sense. And so there's two academic studies that I love to quote. And the reason I love these academic studies is that there's no vendor influence. There's no someone trying to sell you something. This is truly a, one of them is sponsored by GS1, which of course is the standards body for, mm -hmm. for retail. Another one is actually the Platt Institute that does a lot of retail analytics, and they did some really interesting data. The Platt Institute one was a research of, I believe it was two years of Macy's data. So Macy's had implemented RFID, had turned RFID down to sell to the last unit on their Omni side, and their numbers are pretty exciting. I'm going to just read off of it here. So they were able to reduce out-of-stocks on the floor by 30%. They're able to reduce in-store out-of-stocks by 50%. They're able to increase full price selling, so increase their margins on full price selling by 2.6%, then decrease their inventory variance on a month to month basis. On that first, on the first one, they brought them up to between 90 and 100 and 90 95% accuracy. And so this is a, a pretty big retailer across many, many stores. And they made that investment. In, and Macy's was one of the, the leaders in the space, really trying to push uh, brands onto using RFID. And so, you know, they've seen a lot of those numbers. A couple other numbers I'm going to, I'm going to quote here. Lister did, University of Lister did a study of 10 retailers. And these 10 retailers include brands that we've all heard of. So whether it be Lululemon, Marks and Spencer, Adidas, and, and many others. And what they found was that 100% of the retailers who had implemented RFID had seen a benefit. On average, they'd seen between a two and a half, or one and a half and 5% increase in revenue as a result of, of RFID. What else do we have here? They, they also talked about an average overall uplift in sales. And for every 3% change in SKU accuracy, they were able to see between a half percent and 1% increase in sales. And so, and that, that crosses both physical and digital sides. And then you got someone like a Lululemon 
who their CEO in their earnings report, when they first came out using RFID, said that 8% of their e-com revenue was directly attributable to the inventory accuracy given by RFID. Well, wow. These are big numbers. Yeah, uh, these are pretty meaningful. And so one, one of my other favorite metrics that one of our clients, one of our clients talked about recently is they were able to essentially pay for their entire RFID program simply by reducing split shipments. And mm. so they were running at around a 10% split shipment rate. And mm. so what they were able to do by implementing RFID now more accurately knowing what's actually in their store, they could actually decrease the buffers that they had on their inventory and still reduce the number of times that they split a shipment. And a split shipment costs you extra labor because mm -hmm. it's hopping to the next store, but it also is a complete margin erosion with just extra shipping. Yeah. So at six to ten dollars yeah. per shipment on mm -hmm. a, on an extra box, you know, yeah. reducing a large percentage of those split shipments, they were able to pay for almost their entire program just on split shipment reductions. Mm -hmm. And that didn't include any of the out of stock reductions, any of the back to front replenishment, any of the full price selling that they're doing. And so, so sorry, go ahead. No, no, go, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I just say the, and that's just the in-store piece. And so you start talking about the loss prevention piece. And so mm -hmm. this, this is one that I love because these solutions are really about creating data and capturing large amounts of data. And so feeding that into your AI systems or into your analytics systems to help you analyze trends really helps and can change the way even loss, preve loss, loss prevention professionals work. And so without even changing the way you alarm at your exits, not using RFID for alarming, but you can actually start to understand week to week, month to month shrink patterns that are happening in your stores and building, building these, these report, this report for your loss prevention professionals gives them another tool in their tool belt to know what's actually happening in near time and actually change their strategies in a dynamic way. Instead of waiting for the next physical count that happens, whether next year or halfway through the year to, to change up how they really attack shrink. It's a great, that's a great point, especially these days with loss prevention. Now, if only yeah. these RFID tags could turn into like glitter bombs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and like self-destruct after, you know, at the end of the day, you just push the button yeah. and you just pull turn You just get rid bombs. of all the security tags, right? <laughs> so there, so, so it's great that you say that. I know we're joking. And I think one, one thing that's really important we didn't talk about before, I don't actually sell anything. So I don't mm -hmm. sell hardware, I don't sell any software, I don't sell any yeah. tech. So I, I don't have a vested interest in, <laughs> in any of these items. But one of the things that one of the things that people are using RFID for from a loss prevention, not quite the glitter bomb yet, <laughs> but on the exit, if you've got an RFID reader at the exit, you could use it for one of two things. Either number one, understanding what's happening from a loss perspective. So you don't put a hard tag on 100% of your store. If you do, that's extremely labor intensive. But if you've put RFID into all the price tickets on your product or into the mm -hmm. brand label on your product or sewn into your garment, you can now start to understand what's actually leaving the store. And so you have a choice of either A, alarm, or B, just gather that information, bounce that against your, your point of sale data and mm -hmm. see, okay, well, this left at this time, did I actually sell it? If I didn't right. sell it, cross-reference with my cameras, understand what's actually mm -hmm. happening take a look at the path to, path to theft in the store. By now you understand who took that product out of the store and you can start to get some really great analytics just in terms of what left the store. There's a great job yeah. for some, some AI that we were absolutely. talking about. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now put Fred to work. Yeah. I, I, so, call, I call AI Fred in my, <laughs> in my world. Because I'm just like... Call Fred. doesn't roll off the tongue. So I'm just like, hey, run this by Fred. First, yeah. like, did you run this by Fred? <laughs> I think this shows Perfect. my age. I've been calling it Hal. So <laughs> I was going to say that too. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, one thing I, I hadn't thought of, but as we're talking about the loss prevention piece of this in store, I mean, you, you would have the ability to map the path, right? Wherever you detect the RFID tag of an item, right? So what, I would, you know, we're, we're assuming like we're doing about asking Fred or, or Hal, but, you know, you would have, <laughs> I can see an AI tool that would, take your camera data, right? And map the path and start to show you. I mean, we've seen this before with cameras tracking by Wi-Fi devices and things for, for showing the flow of people in the store, but this would give you the ability to watch your merchandise flow around the store, right? Absolutely. So there, there are a number of different RFID technologies as well. I talked a little about fixed infrastructure and handhelds. Mm -hmm. So handhelds give you a point in time inventory update. And then in between that, you're just counting on all the other processes yeah. you have in your store. So point of sale and, and right. Dominant delivery. 
But by cross-referencing the exit data with camera data, and then being able to use the vision system to say, okay, well, I know this person committed the theft. Let's track that person. Absolutely, you can do that. And then there's a different, there's a completely different type of RFID. We call hands-free RFID or eye in the sky RFID, which is like a Wi-Fi ubiquitous reading mm-hmm. right across the store that can light up an entire store. And those solutions actually can in real time take a look at patterns that are happening in the store that look suspicious and actually identify in real time path to shrink. And so mm-hmm. some really interesting things. So a pilot was recently announced by American Eagle. Actually, it's not, it's no longer a pilot. They've actually decided they're the first retailer to roll out chain wide this eye in the sky RFP mm-hmm. solution. And these are the kinds of use cases that are really exciting. First of all, it takes away the human element of doing the cycle count. So you don't have to spend labor mm-hmm. to do the counts anymore. Yeah. A real time view. And now you can actually start to understand what's happening in the stores. Um, I like to say it's almost like creating a digital model of your store that you can actually start to understand, not just for, for loss prevention perspectives, but you know, what are the shopping patterns that you're seeing? How are people actually buying? How are people picking up product and moving it around, yeah. how, interacting with product? And it, in fact, you know, you can actually create a, di- a true digital twin from a shopping perspective, and then maybe even cry- try to do some AB, sh- AB comparisons, adjacencies. So what happens if I move this product over here? How would that, based on the patterns that I've seen on the floor, change my shopping patterns? And so you can start to do some really interesting things that are focused not on the people, but on the actual movement of product. And so there's, mm-hmm. there's yeah. a pretty cool Our thing. I should try that. See how long their product's sitting outside of a fitting room. Absolutely. And so in the fitting room. Yeah. Or how much stuff yeah. we like dump on the last table because we're done waiting in line. We're done. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. And you're like, yeah. you spent the time to go put it in our cart online and yeah. I'm out. <laughs> Absolutely. And yeah. it, 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 it was really interesting in the fitting rooms, by putting a single reader on the entrance to fitting rooms, there's some really interesting analytics we can get there too. So you can start to understand try-by ratios. Mm-hmm. You know, how many times is this coming into the fitting room and actually being purchased? Is there So one of our clients, we did some work with them and what we realized is that this thing was actually being brought into the fitting room a crazy amount of times, but wasn't being purchased. And so yeah. what's wrong with the fit? What's wrong right. with this item? Because right. we're, getting, we're getting the looks. We're getting the tries and the, that transition from sales floor into fitting room usually increases your conversion rate by 3x. And so for that product to go from the, from the sales floor into the fitting room and not be purchased is extremely telling. And so yeah. just understanding yeah. that movement and flow like you were referring to really is, really is about shining a spotlight on what's happening. And again, is, is not RFID specific. Like I, there are other ways to do some of this. You can have people scanning every single thing that goes into sure, yeah. constantly, but it's just not realistic from a labor a labor model perspective. And so this is about automatically capturing that information. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess this sort of begs the question then, right? With I've lost track now how many examples of use cases we've just listed out in store that you can enable, right? By gathering this data and having the RFID tags presence, you can capture all this data. So you know that leaves us with, so, okay, What's the challenge and what really is the barrier that's preventing retailers from widespread adoption of this? Because if you just take it face value, everything we just talked about, I mean, the argument for doing it, I think, is exceptionally strong. All of the the intelligence and capability that you could gain as a retailer about the entire shopping experience in your store. And and I'm not even counting. At this point, I guess I'm not even going to count all the supply chain related (laughs) examples we started the conversation with. But just focusing on the store piece, I mean, what do you see are the like the top three barriers? What's holding retailers back from doing this? Is it really just cost or is it more than cost? It's a great question. I think priorities tend to be one of those, one of those big ones. So understand where does this fit into the pecking order of what mm-hmm. I need to get done? And sometimes it has to do with I don't really understand the value that this will bring. Sometimes there's just really big corporate initiatives. Like I'm putting in a new ERP and I need to finish yeah. putting in my new ERP. Or mm-hmm. my new ERP. I have one of our clients who we, we sat down, we did a strategy with them to understand, well, what's the value of this and how does this fit into the larger scheme of what you're trying to do? And they're like, well, you know what? We're launching China this year. And so we're going to finish launching China and then we're going to come back and do this. Mm-hmm. And so definitely just understanding where it fits in the priorities and understanding the value that it brings. I think five years ago, the value wasn't as well known as it is today. I think we've seen RFID is now being used at every price point, you know, whether it's on a 99 cent bag of bamboo skewers at Walmart to Gucci and, and, and Louis Vuitton and Louis and, and 
and you know Nordstrom is using RFID on a whole bunch of their their luxury product. Bloomingdale's is using it. We got Chanel using it. But then we've got it on everything from Belk and Dillard's to Carter's using it. Carter's actually just won a pretty big award for their their cool Omni RFID implementation of it. Tesco, Walmart, Target, all of these big brands are now using RFID. And then you've got you know Nike, Adidas, Under Armour, mm-hmm. Zara, Uniqlo, H and M, Levi's, Polo, Tommy Hilfiger, Lululemon. All of these brands have have put RFID onto all of their product. And so some of the challenges are if I'm a, if I'm a multi-vendor or a multi-brand retailer, I have to get my supply chain to adopt RFID mm-hmm. for I can adopt RFID. And so getting all your vendors to turn on RFID at source is mm-hmm. not something you could do overnight. And even for mm-hmm. a specialty retailer or a vertically integrated retailer, when they decide to turn on RFID, it's not usually for a year that the product that they're mm-hmm. turning on RFID on actually hits their stores. So by the time yeah. they, they work out their bombs, purchase the product, buy the, the materials, have it manufactured, you're buying for two or three seasons into the future. And so that, mm-hmm. that, that process usually takes a little bit of time. So multi-brand retailers have a little bit bigger of a challenge. So you know, we've seen several multi-brand retailers in the last little while turn on RFID, send out vendor letters to their brands. And you, they have to usually give them at least a year um, mm-hmm. in order to ramp up their cycles. And so a couple of examples, Macy's has been at it for a really long time, trying to turn on their, their supply chain. Nordstrom turned on their, their supply chain more recently. And you've got Dillard's and Belk also doing the same thing. You've got Dick Sporting Goods is a perfect example. Anyone in the sporting goods arena who has a large percentage of their merchandise, either Nike, Under Armour, or Adidas, suddenly finds a whole bunch of their store populated with product mm. tags. Okay. That, those RFID tags, you know, the cost of those tags, it's not very big, but that cost is already embedded within the cost of that product. If you're, if it's showing up in your store, whether you ask for it or not, you're paying for that RFID tag. And so how do you leverage the value of that mm-hmm. RFID tag? So that's why you've got all these sporting goods retailers like Hibbit Sport who turned on RFID. You've got Foot Locker in Europe turning on RFID. You've got Decathlon that, of course, they're, they're vertically integrated, but they do have some national brands have turned on RFID and are using it across the board. And so you, you see that start to happen as that product flows into the store. I think, and I think the last thing is really education. And so uh, my former partner came up with this concept called RFIQ, which is how much do you know about RFID? Mm-hmm. But it's not just RFIQ could be a person's knowledge of the value, but it can also be an organizational knowledge of the value. And it goes beyond just turning it on because we, we like to say that you could have really high RFIQ at, the, at some of the people in your organization. You've turned on RFID, you're leveraging the basic capabilities, but there are a whole three or four levels of, of incremental value you could drive. We call it our stairway to heaven of how you, all the different ways of, of squeezing up mm-hmm. further value that you're not using because you don't really get it yet. And so yeah. that RFIQ is a real barrier. In the past, people have blamed the price of tags on the barrier for why they yeah. don't want to go. I would say that tags haven't been an issue from a cost perspective for 10 years. And so it's, it's really about doing the investigation to understand. And like I said, if, if Walmart could put an RFID tag on a 99 cent bag of bamboo skewers, mm. yeah. that pretty much you could put an RFID tag. You can put an RFID yeah. On, yeah. on everything. And I think, I too think the RFIQ is also a large knowledge base barrier. Hence why this was a great topic for discussion. I think everyone can also agree that there should be a dedicated team to the ERP implementation and optimization forever. And it should not have any, it should not take up any resources from doing cool stuff. (laughs) Just put the team over there. It will never end. (laughs) Let's keep rolling out cool things. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, and on the cool side, you, you, most big retailers have some innovation team of some sort and the, the need to have a test and learn mentality within retailers. I like to say fail fast, right? Look, don't yeah. be afraid to try things, but right. don't be afraid to say, you know what, this isn't going to work. Let's go on to the next thing and have that innovation. It's so hard. I mean, it is a big it. culture change to be able it is. to say, cause you're used to, as soon as something goes wrong. Grab your box and put your stuff in it because you're out. <laughs> um, there is not, fashion doesn't fail. You're fired. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> uh, there is not a very good culture of that fail fast mentality, the learning mentality. I mean, it is changing, but that definitely is something I'd like to see is just more experimentation because there is so much opportunity with all of this technology that we can do things that we've never been able to do. We can have data that we've never had access to. I think the only people that know how much runs off-grid is the people that work in the organizations. And it's just amazing how much that doesn't have to be a reality today. But being able to try new software, new technologies, it's so difficult to get it through the system um, to be able to run some real results. So I think that this is this is really great just to be able to dive in here and help on the RFIQ piece. Um, but let's say, let's say it's just coming down to cost. Everybody's tightening their purse strings right now. We're at the end of the year. Everybody will be doing inventory count here and be planning for next year and budgeting for next year. If if cost is the only deterrent, where do you see a brand being able to get the highest ROI, the mm -hmm. fastest, to be able to try this, have the least likelihood of failure, to be able to budget additional rollouts, to be able to bring it in, make a suggestion. So any of our listeners that might be working in the brand wanted to do something with RFID, just with everything that you know, where is the least riskiest, high-impact place to deploy mm -hmm. so that this can be real for them? Absolutely. It's a great question. And I would, I would say one thing is really important. I believe that the need to trial RFID as a technology to see if it works, if it drives value, those days are done. I mean, you don't, you don't trial your ERP to see if you're, you're going to get value, right? You, <laughs> I if, wouldn't wish that upon anyone. We would hope not. <laughs> would want to go but if you, to do that like, multiple if you times. can't make, oh, sorry, Ricardo. I was going to say, who wants to try to do that trial multiple times? <laughs> no. Uh, kind anyway, of, if you can't make RFID work, then you're an outlier. If, if implementing hmm. inventory accuracy in your business doesn't drive significant value in a sub one year ROI, then you are an outlier. You're not hmm. the norm. And so, most of our clients, the, the hardest part of building that business case is usually timing up the capital out with the ROI back because you're spending money on tags, you're spending money on hardware, and then you're waiting to get the product into the store. And so timing that and making that all come together is really part of getting that, that commercial uh, benefit work in, in a period of a year. But I would say if you're looking to do a pilot or if you're looking to understand how the value is and get that quickest ROI handheld scanning using RFID for inventory accuracy and inventory updates is by far and away the simplest and easiest way to get an ROI very quickly. You know, you could put a couple of handheld scanners into every store. Handheld scanners are not expensive. You've already got, you know, most, most retailers already have some sort of handheld scanner in their store. So you can get a Bluetooth accessory that allows you to read RFID with that existing device at a relatively low price point, you get some software. A lot of the software today is commercially off the shelf in a SaaS product. So it's a monthly reoccurring with a, a relatively low amount of integration you need to start. You could very quickly turn on handheld cycle counting in a retail environment and get an ROI very, very quickly. And your, your benefits are going to be threefold. Your benefits are going to be in store, back to front replenishment, making sure I have everything on the floor that I have available to sell to my customers because most of my customers have no idea what I have in the back. If it's not on the floor, I'm leaving. And most of my sales associates aren't really good sales associates that know what I have in the back. There are definitely some sales associates that walk the back of house. There are really good sales associates that know exactly what you have in the store, but most of them don't know where it is. I think most of them don't trust it. They've right. had too many yeah. failures to yeah. the point where mm -hmm. I just don't trust it. I'm not even going to look because it's never been there. <laughs> Absolutely. When somebody says, oh, we have a new system, it works. Everybody's like, whatever. <laughs> it never works. <laughs> it's true. And, and that, that back to front, getting everything ready for trade. So, you know, at store open, you've got your store the way you need it to be. At least one of everything on the floor. If you've got specific size runs, 
you need to have two medium, one large, one extra large, whatever the, the musical size row that you want to have on the floor is, you could program the system to do that. So it actually tells you, here's what I have in the back. Here's what's on the floor. Take these items out right now. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the first easy win. The second easy win is when you're doing these inventory updates, you actually know what's in your store and what's not in your store. So identifying the out of stocks, what are the things that you think you have that you don't? And what are the things that you actually have that you don't even know that you have? And so there's two things there. There's number one, let's fill those, let's fill those out of stocks back into the store to, re- to sell that product. That's generally called frozen inventory in terms of stuff that stays out of stock until the next time you do a physical count mm-hmm. or identifying items that you have in store that you didn't know you have stops you from sending more of this product into the store and allocating inventory into the store that probably is going to go stale and you're going to have to end up selling at the end of the season at a discount. And so having more of a hold and flow process is the second area where RFID can drive tremendous value and is really free with purchase with the first one when you're doing your RFID updates, your RFID cycle counts. And the last one, and this one does require a little bit more work, but it's integrating your RFID read data with your OMS so that your available for sale is now actually reflective of what you have in your store, because that allows you to more effectively allocate orders to your stores. So you're going to have lower pick declines. You can actually decrease the, the threshold that you have on your inventory to show a lot more inventory. So a lot of our clients, we find if they've got a, a threshold of two units, or they don't, if it's two or less, they don't make it available for biological. Let's just say every shoe department in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, for example. And so reducing that, you could, because a lot of our clients have really moved from an inventory perspective to a breadth versus depth, right? So mm-hmm. you may have you know, a reasonable number or amount of depth at the beginning of the selling season, but very quickly you're, you're down to a pretty shallow depth on your SKUs. And so if you're hiding 60% of the inventory that you have in the store from your online channel, because you just don't trust it, you can't sell that before it goes into markdown. And so exposing the most that you have to sell your product that is close to full price as you can is what this is really about. And so from an only perspective is making that product available, allocating it much more effectively. So you have lower decline rates and then reducing your split shipments because you actually now are only pushing product or pushing orders to stores that actually have all the items in that order. And so when you combine those three things, which are back to front replenishment, out of stock management, and Omni, generally speaking, most retailers will have a sub one year ROI, and it's a mm-hmm. relatively inexpensive program to at least turn on at first. And of course, as you expand it, as you expand it, you definitely will incur more costs, but handhelds are, are relatively cheap. If the product is already flowing into your stores, the tags are that, that are tagged, then the, ta- yeah. the products are already there. You, you may need to tag if you're a multi-brand retailer, your private label. So you'll, you'll sit down and tag your private label goods. So there is some tag costs associated with that, but tag costs are anywhere between, I like to budget five cents incremental per tag. That's probably on the high end, depending on the volume, but you know, that's, that's a good number to use. Yeah. Nickel, you and, nickel there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's not, it doesn't really change the dynamics. And the handhelds are, are really cheap. I mean, there are some very cost-effective handhelds today, as long as you've got a handheld scanner in store. And so the costs are those elements plus the integration. An easy pilot could be stood up for $100,000 or less, depending, are you talking about a five-store pilot, a 10-store pilot? Yeah. A pilot, obviously, considerably mm-hmm. less. You can stand up a pilot for not a lot of money. The key thing is to know what you're going to measure. Uh, and how you're going to measure success. So having your KPIs clearly articulated and defined. But the most important thing for these programs is the change management element. And so soft stuff is the hard stuff. People process is critical here. We're changing a lot of the way things happen at the store. We're making it much easier for the associates. We're making their lives simpler, but we have to change our processes to take advantage of of all of the benefits of the program. And so making sure that you do optimize your SOPs, making sure that you change your dashboards to be reflective of what's happening in the stores, help the stores understand what they're doing right and what maybe where they need a little bit of help, change them the change your district managers and your regional managers' views of things because now you can actually understand what is my own floor availability of product? Mm-hmm. Uh, what is How long is it taking me to refill holes on my floor? What is my execution level in the stores? One of the things you mentioned about fitting rooms, how long is it taking my mm-hmm. my stores to clean out product yeah. fittings, understanding what are my true pick decline now versus what was actually in the store. Yeah. There's so many metrics that you could actually start to glean into 
but only help you if you can actually measure and make that available to the stores and to your management team. So th those are the things I would say are the easiest ways to go forward. Obviously, articulating the benefit to get the money to do a pilot mm -hmm. is, is, yeah. is really critical. And so, I mean, we have a model that we really give to people who ask us for it that allows them to just type in some basic information and, and they can get some high level understanding of where the benefit is. And if, if they need more help, we, we can provide them with more help. But really it's about helping them articulate the value. And mm -hmm. usually that's enough to get, to get the wall, to get the, the ball rolling. Yeah. Well, well, JP, I mean, this has just been an absolutely fascinating discussion. I think we definitely need to include some links in the show notes to some of those resources for folks in the audience who are ready to make the jump into RFID. I think we've gone over, I've, I've lost track. And I mean, it's almost sounds cliche to say, right, that the possibilities are endless, but it, I almost feel like I have to say it because we've gone through so many, so many examples, so many metrics around what makes this a positive thing for any retailer to do. I suspect it's interesting to hear you say, you know, it's a priority issue more than anything else. And I can see that because there are only so many projects every retailer can take on at once. But I think it's just such an important thing. I mean, it's definitely a technology whose time has come. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, at, at the end of the day, like we say, this is about inventory accuracy, inventory visibility, inventory findability. This is not a technology project, although it's a technology enabled project. And being able to know where your product is and be able to find it is really the most critical thing. Well, thank you again, JP, for joining us and for our hoodies. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Wishing awesome. nothing but the best and excited to see that grow. And uh, you'll have to tell us when you implement RFID. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> now that exactly. you're on the other side as well. <laughs> Absolutely. And we launched our children's wear yesterday. So if anyone's uh, interested in children's wear, let us know. We're happy to help. Right in time for holiday. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much for, for having me on the show. I, I've really enjoyed it. Uh, long, long time listener and big, big fan. Thank you. Well, thank you, JP. Awesome. If you enjoyed our show, please consider giving us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Remember to smash that subscribe button in your favorite podcast player or on YouTube so you don't miss a minute. If you haven't tried Good Pods Player yet, give them a spin and follow our show. We recently hit the top of the charts in indie management, and marketing podcasts. We love hearing feedback from our listeners. If you want to know more about we what we talked about today, take a look at our show notes for handy links and more deets. I'm your co-host, Casey Bolton. And if you'd like to connect with us and share your feedback, follow us and the show on Twitter at KCC Golden, Ricardo underscore Belmar, and at Retail Razor, or just find us on LinkedIn. And if you want even more from us, please subscribe to our Substack newsletter for full episode transcripts and bonus content. I'm your host, Ricardo Belmore. Thanks for joining us. And remember, there's never been a better time to be in retail if you cut through the clutter. Until next time, this is The Retail Razor Show.